also want to be a people who uh, are being led by the Spirit. That we worship a God that is triune. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. Uh, and so we want to make sure we are balancing out the, the authority and the, the, uh, the teaching of Scripture with the power and leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That Jesus said he was seeking out a people who would worship him in both spirit and in truth. And so what we've been doing in this little uh, four-week series called Holy Spirit is just uh, diving into these two chapters of the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9, and just seeing what the Holy Spirit is up to in those chapters. How he's moving, how he's interacting with people, how he's teaching uh, the, the early church so that we can be open to those same movements and leadings and guidings in our life today. Uh, and so last week, Sandy walked us through a message called Receive, as we discuss what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit and to receive a, a baptism of the Holy Spirit as we walk through a bit of a weird story in the book of Acts where uh, people had, had uh, believed in Jesus, they put their life and their trust in Jesus, but they hadn't actually received the Holy Spirit yet. And this week I want to follow that up with a message called Follow. As together we look at what it means to actually be led by the Spirit, what it means to, to hear His voice, to hear Him speak into our life, and to actually follow that guidance out in our day to day. That sound good? Does that sound good? Come on, we can do better than that. You can tell I've been at a youth camp. Um, all right, so when we're jumping into things, the early church has been well and truly scattered. That God has taken this, this messy moment, uh, the martyrdom of the very first Christian martyr, Stephen, and the persecution of the church that follows it, and he uses that mess to just scatter the early church to the very ends of the earth. Uh, that God uses that moment to ensure the Great Commission is actually followed through with and that the gospel is preached to the very ends of the earth. And one such man who finds himself caught up in that mass exodus out of Jerusalem is a man called Philip. And what we need to know about Philip is he's not one of the disciples, that's a different Philip. Uh, he's not one of the apostles, he's not a, a preacher or a pastor. He's an ordinary guy like me and you who uh, sort of put his hand up to volunteer in, in giving out food to the, the outcasts and the rejects and the widows. But see, despite his ordinary background, Philip just finds himself in this place where all of a sudden he's in Samaria. And he just starts doing what Jesus told him to do and he starts preaching the gospel. And it's like all of a sudden the entire countryside just catches a light with Jesus' excitement. Uh, it's revival, it's spiritual awakening, it's an epic move of God. And we're told entire cities are coming to faith in Jesus. Uh, but when we're actually jumping into things tonight, he's left behind that ministry field, he's left behind the, the mission field, and he actually finds himself called into a new place. But he's not called to an exciting new mission, he's not called to go preach the gospel to hundreds of people in a, in a different country. Where we actually find him tonight, he's sitting on a dusty road, in the middle of nowhere, wondering what in the world God was up to. All right, so if you've got your Bible with you, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then Luke, the author of Acts, adds this little uh, subclause: this is a desert place. All right, so a couple of things we need to know here. Uh, Gaza is this Philistine town that's around 250 kilometers away from uh, where Philip was in Samaria. And it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, not that that's really that important for us because uh, Philip, uh, sorry, St I've written Stephen here. Philip isn't told to go to Gaza 
as much as he is told to go to the road that leads to Gaza. And the reason that Luke needs to highlight the fact that it's a desert place is because there are actually two different roads you could take from Jerusalem down to Gaza. Uh, one is far more trafficked. It's the King's Highway. Uh, it's sort of the, this road that uh, hugs the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and it would have been well cared for. It would have been well traveled. It was full of scenic picnic spots that you could stop in and have a look out over the, the ocean. But then there was also this second road, and it's known as the Desert Road. And unlike the King's Highway, it's not hugging the Mediterranean Sea. It's cutting straight across the country. And importantly, it follows the borders of the Judean desert. And so what that means for Philip is it would have been dry, it would have been hot, it would have been desolate, and importantly, there would have been absolutely no one else there. Uh, To quote one commentator I read this week, God could not have picked an emptier stretch of road to send Philip to. And so verse 27, he arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. All right, so Philip's sitting there on the side of the road, kicking the dust, wondering what in the world he was doing there. Uh, when all of a sudden he, he looks up and sort of breaking the horizon, he sees this, this dust cloud approaching him from the north. And, and look, I don't know if I've watched too many um, History Channel documentaries or, or too much Veggie Tales, but for some reason I've always pictured that this Ethiopian eunuch riding sort of like a Roman chariot. So sort of like a, a half turtle shell with two wheels and some horses at the front, and he's just up there all by himself going, he ya here. Uh, that, that's not the picture I want you to have in your mind because um, this Ethiopian eunuch, he is sort of the, the powerhouse player of the day. I mean, at the time, the Ethiopian kingdom was one of the largest kingdoms in the world, and it covered most of modern-day uh, Ethiopia, Sudan, and Egypt, sort of everything south of the River Nile in, in that section of Africa. Uh, and within this kingdom, the, the Ethiopian eunuch had risen to this position of prestige and power and authority and wealth, so much so that he's in charge of all the finances in the entire kingdom. So I don't think the the CFO of Ethiopia Incorporated is riding around in the Toyota of chariots. Uh, In all likelihood, he's probably sitting in either this massive sort of tent on wheels, uh, being pulled by a team of oxen, or, and this is sort of where I land on this, he's being carried by eight men with poles on their shoulders, and he's sitting on like a covered couch on top of that. Uh, And to add to that picture, there's probably uh, at least a team of guards and and servants and slaves that are surrounding him. There's probably an entire train of camels following behind with all their supplies that this isn't one man on a chariot moving through the desert. This is a big group of people. Uh, But but look, despite the pomp and show of this caravan, there are really two things I want to highlight about the Ethiopian eunuch. Firstly, he has made some serious sacrifices to get to his position. Uh, that in order to be able to work in the royal palace and and interact with the queen on a daily basis, uh, the the powers that be sort of wanted to make sure that no frisky business was going to get up to. Uh, And and so what would have happened is, is probably at a really young age, this man would have been castrated. And if you have any more questions about what that looks like and what that means, Sandy has uh, kindly volunteered to answer all your questions on that. Uh, No, but (laughs) look, look, secondly, and I suppose more importantly for us, this man was seeking God that somehow, somewhere along the road, 
he had discovered that there was this God who could be worshipped in Jerusalem. And unlike all the gods that you, you could find in Ethiopia, the gods of the sun and the moon and the stars, this God was different. He was real, he was personal, he was, he was tangible, and he moved in a way that no other god could. And so this Ethiopian eunuch has dropped everything he has, and he has traveled over 2,500 kilometers to find out more about that sort of god. And so Philip, Philip's sitting there, right? And this, this caravan's getting closer and closer and closer, and they, they come and they're, they're passing him, and then verse 29, the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Right, so let's just stop there for a second, right? How, how did the Spirit say that to Philip? I, I mean, how did God step into the dust and the noise and the chaos of this moment and give Philip such a specific instruction? And, and look, you, you read the verse, it, it doesn't tell you, right? But, which I'm kind of thankful for because otherwise we'd be bogged down into uh, the specifics of what that looked like. But what I really want you guys to see tonight is that God is a God who speaks. He's not a distant deity. He's not this far away God sort of sitting up in the clouds. He is closer than the air we breathe. And he actually speaks. And he wants to speak, he wants to, speak to me. He wants to speak to you. He, he, he wants to talk to us in our lives. And the way he does it is through the work of the Spirit. See, I think so often as Christians, we, we go about acting like God is sort of an absentee teacher. Sort of like 2,000 years ago, Jesus rocked up on the scene and he gave us a whole bunch of homework and assignments that we had to go and, and live out and then he just left us, sort of hoping we'd work it out on our own. But the truth of the matter is God doesn't just want us doing this life for him. He wants us to be doing this life with him. And so if we, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we have the indwelling of the Spirit to guide us and to speak to us and show us how we can live out that sort of life. In fact, if you track through the entire book of Acts and record every single occurrence of when the Spirit is doing some sort of work or interacting with uh, the early church, what you will see is that the Holy Spirit appears around 60 to 70 times, depending on how you count certain events. But in at least 30 of those events, He is speaking directly to or through someone. Uh, in Acts chapter one, the disciples were told are given instructions through the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter two, we're told that filled with the Spirit, Peter preaches the first Christian sermon. In Acts chapter nine, we're told the Spirit is encouraging the church as they go through persecution. In Acts 10, the Spirit said to Peter, go down and talk to these men. In Acts 11, the Spirit tells Peter to go with those same men. In Acts 7, 10, 11, 16, 18, and 23, the Holy Spirit speaks to people through dreams and visions. In Acts 13, the Holy Spirit tells the church leaders to set apart Barnabas and Saul for ministry. In Acts 15, the Spirit con uh, confirms the decision the church has made. So we're told that it was good to both them and the Spirit. And finally, in Acts 15, 16, 19, 20, and 21, the Spirit explicitly tells Paul where he needs to go and do ministry where he's not allowed to go and do ministry, and what God's plan was for him in those cities he was preaching to. That time and time and time again in the book of Acts, what we see is the Spirit speaks. He speaks through scripture, he speaks through dreams and visions, he speaks through prophetic words, he speaks out loud and he speaks to people's hearts. And importantly for us, he speaks to, to people like the apostles and he speaks to really, really ordinary people just like Philip. 
people like you and me. And church, I am telling you, if you are here and you are under the sound of my voice, God wants to speak to you in this life. And look, I know that the book of Acts is a different point in history and there was a special anointing and blessing over the apostolic ministry. But you cannot convince me that the only book in the entire Bible that describes what the life of the church is supposed to look like after the resurrection of Jesus, that same book uh, describes how the Spirit talks to God's people in a way that is fundamentally different to how He's gonna do it today. See, church, I, I don't think the issue is whether or not God actually talks to us. It's not whether or not the Spirit is still speaking. I think the Bible talks to, uh, to itself quite easily on that matter. No, the issue we need to grapple with is whether or not we hear what he's saying. Because if God is a God who speaks, then, then let me ask you a question. When was the last time you heard God speak as clearly as he is to Philip right now in this moment? I mean, if the Holy Spirit can speak to you in any way he wants to, then, then when was the last time he told you where you should go? Or who you should speak to? Or what you should do? Or, or who you should pray for? Or, or that you should forgive that enemy? Or should repent of that sin? When was the last time the Holy Spirit led you so explicitly? And, and look, I, I'll be honest, that, that question, it, it kind of scares me. Because don't get me wrong, I, I think I've had these moments in my life where I've heard the, the voice of God in my life, not in a, an audible way, but in the, the leadings of my heart and the changing of my desires. And there have been times in my life where God has directed me into, into new seasons, but in my ordinary day to day, in sort of the, the normal run of the mill life, I, I don't know if I always hear the Spirit as clearly as Philip is in this story. And, and so look, I, I had to think about this, that, that this week. I had to process through why we don't hear the Spirit as clearly as the Bible describes it. And I think there are really two big reasons that we don't. That firstly, our lives are simply too loud. That we fill every moment with noise and busyness. That we're always going somewhere and doing something, listening to that podcast, reading that book, watching that TV series, catching up on that lecture, scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, and it's like, if God actually wanted to talk to us, I'm not sure if there'd be enough room in our lives for us to hear. And look, don't get me wrong, God can yell over those things if he needs to. But more often than not, what I've seen is that if we choose to crank up the volume of this world, and make it louder and louder and louder, then God will choose not to yell over the noise we create. That God wants to speak to us, but we allow the things of this world so much of our attention that God's voice sort of gets pushed away to the side. And look, I'm gonna be honest, that sort of feels a lot like what happened to me this week. See, I'm not sure what it was, but this sermon, was really hard for me to write. There's, there's no amends of that, so I take it it's going okay so far. But look, I, I, don't, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the, the aftermath of, of youth camp last week or um, like resistance from the enemy, but, but it was hard for me to write. And I, what I needed was, was a clear direction from God. I, I needed the leading of the Spirit to be able to help me to write this message. And instead of actually cutting away time in my life to, to hear that sort of direction from God, I just got busy. 
I listened to a whole bunch of sermons and podcasts. I I read a whole bunch of commentaries and books and study notes. And I I sat down and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things out of themselves. In fact, God has and does sort of use those sort of practices to, to speak to me normally. But what I became aware of towards the end of the week is what I needed to do was just sit down, silence out everything in my life and just let him speak to me. So look, if you're here tonight and you have this desire in your heart for God to speak into some sort of situation or give you some sort of guidance, then let me just ask you, do you actually think you're giving him enough time and space to allow him to actually do that? See, if I could pose a challenge to you this week, And if this is all you take away from this message and you go away and do this, I I would uh, say this is a successful message. It, It would be this. This week, what would it look like for you to try and live your life as if God actually cared about the things you do? So he actually cared about that disobedient child or that that sick partner or that annoying workmate or that assignment that's stressing you out. And not only that, what if you, what if you acted like he actually wants to guide you in that? that he actually wants to give you uh, direction and, and speak words into that situation or, or that, that moment in your life. And see, my challenge for you this week would be to go away and, and just, just, for, just for one minute, just, just stop for a whole minute, put your, take your headphones out, quiet out the noise of this life, and just ask God what he wants to do in that space. And, and then don't rush off, don't rush off and try and get on with your life and get on with doing it yourself, but just stop and give him a chance to respond to it. Because I promise you, God does care about the things you care about. He he knows what's sitting on your heart. He knows what's keeping you up at night. And and he does want to speak into those situations. That again, he wants to do this life with you, not that you would just do this life for him. All right, so, so the second reason I think we don't hear God in our lives is that often what God says to us doesn't always make sense. See, if I'm Philip in this moment, right, I'm asking, God, what in the world are you doing? Like, why would you call me 250 kilometers away uh, just to stand on the side of the road and, you know, I I left this amazing, fruitful ministry and and now there's just like this this one foreigner walking past. And and Philip sees this guy and, and he's pompous and he's rich and he's got this huge train of servants and there's people carrying him on his shoulder and even if Philip believes that God wants this one man to be saved, surely there's at least a part of Philip's brain that's going, yeah, God, but more people are getting saved in Samaria. And then Philip's going to have to push through the slaves and the servants and the guards, and, and he's covered in dust, right? So the chance they let him through to the, to the Ethiopian eunuch is pretty small, and, and even if he gets there, it's doubtful that the Ethiopian eunuch's going to hear him, and Like, he's on a couch, right? So they can just keep on walking and they're not gonna notice him at all. And what I think Philip could easily do in this moment is convince himself that this isn't the voice of God in his life. Like, if this was actually God speaking to me, then he would have made it easier, right? He wouldn't have put the obstacles in my way. He wouldn't have made me walk 250 kilometers 
He wouldn't have made me leave behind that fruitful ministry. It would have just all worked out. It would have been easy. It would have been sensible. And it would have just made sense to me. And church, if we're honest, I think that's the sort of the argument we have in our heads all the time. That we can have these moments where we, we get an inclination that maybe God is calling us to do something. But then, then we, we grab a hold of that thought and we, we pass it through the logical filter of our brain and we go, yeah, that doesn't really make sense. Now, that, that probably won't work out if I do that. No, no God isn't going to use that, that. I mean, God wouldn't ask me to leave her. I've, I've been dating her for three years. God wouldn't ask me to change my degree or, or my career now because I've been working on it for, for so long. God couldn't possibly use this, this random interaction and, and ask me to share my faith right now, could he? he? He wouldn't ask me to give money to that charity or to share a random word of encouragement or, or to give a Bible verse to a friend. That None of that makes sense to me. And, and it's like we have this thing where we're just... We, we pass it through a filter and it's like God is trying to speak to us but, but in between like the word of God coming into our hearts and, and it going to our brains, we just, we logic it away and, and we don't want to do it anymore. That we discard the voice of God in our life because it doesn't make sense to us. And, and so look, I'm going to be honest, there are going to be times in your life where God is trying to speak to you and in that moment you will have a tendency to discard that thought. And if that happens, I want to give you some of the best advice that has ever been given to me. Just do it anyway. I mean, if that prompting in your head or in your heart or whatever it is, if it's a good thing, so in other words, provided it's in line with um, God's revealed character and, and what God says in Scripture, so God's never going to contradict who He is or what He said before. Provided those things, provided it's good, then what I would suggest you do is you pray about it, you guess and you just get on with it anyway. That that is a better approach than just sitting around and trying to work out whether or not this is the voice of God. And see, the way I see it is one day I'm gonna stand in heaven, right? I'm gonna stand before God and I would rather be in the position of turning to God and saying, God, I thought you were asking me to do X, Y, Z. I thought you were asking me to share the gospel with that person. I thought you were asking for me to, to be a, a, a word of encouragement to someone, whatever it is. And for God to turn to me and say, no, that wasn't me, but well done, good and faithful servant. As opposed to the opposite where God turns to me and says, hey, Liam, why didn't you share that word of encouragement when I asked you to? Hey, Liam, why, why didn't you, you share the gospel when, when I asked you to? And it's, I, I know it, do, it doesn't always make sense and it doesn't always pass through our, our logical filters, but, but if it's good and, and we think it's from God, I, I think we should just, do it anyway. All right, so, so jumping back into our story. Verse 30, uh, Philip ran to him, so he obeys immediately. And he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And so he asked him, do you understand what you are reading? Well, I, I mean, you should probably read a little bit more panting in Philip's voice as he's trying to keep up with this, this convoy of people. Uh, verse 31, and he said to him, how can I? unless someone guides me. And so the, the Ethiopian eunuch, he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. To, to which I think the, the 10 men carrying this guy on their shoulders complained a little bit at that. Uh, <laughs> no, so, so they get up onto the chariot, they're, they're having this conversation and the, the part of, of the scroll of Isaiah that this Ethiopian eunuch is reading from is Isaiah 53. And it goes like this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. 
Like a lamb before its shearers, he was silent. He opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And then the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Right, so, so can we just stop and agree, this is such an awesome opportunity for Philip to share the gospel. I mean, like, the, the section of, of Isaiah he's reading is what's known as the suffering servant verses, that it's this collection of verses that they just clearly and distinctly point to Jesus. Uh, that when it says, uh, be, like a lamb before its shearers, he was silent, that that's Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate, not speaking, though he's being condemned. Uh, that like a lamb before its shearer, that despite being perfectly innocent, he is humiliated and justice is denied to him. Uh, and that ultimately his life is taken away from him on this earth by dying on the cross. And so the Ethiopian is reading this, this section of scripture that just so clearly points to Jesus. And then he just asks the easiest question ever, ever. Who is this about? To put that in our context today, it's like you sit down on the bus and someone sits down next to you and they're, they're scrolling on their phone and um, like John 3.16 comes up and they're reading it and then they turn to you and say, who is the son of God? And how may I have eternal life? Like, like you don't need a theology degree to answer that question. You just turn to them and you just give them the gospel. That's what's happening right here in this moment. And that's exactly what Philip does. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And see church, what I need you to see tonight is even though the spirit has only been mentioned once explicitly in this entire section we've read so far. In fact, the spirit is only mentioned twice in Acts chapter eight at all. What I need you to see is the spirit is still leading See, as Philip gets up to speak to, the, to this Ethiopian eunuch, he is uh, living out the fulfillment of Jesus' promise in Matthew 10. Uh, do not be anxious for how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you, are, what, what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit speaking through And then when the Ethiopian starts asking him these questions about who the suffering servant is, well, Philip is is again living out scripture that John 14 says, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and he will bring to your memory all that Christ has said. That the Spirit is still leading Philip in this moment, even though we're not told that explicitly. But above and beyond that, what I wanna actually focus on right here is that the Holy Spirit has actually been guiding the Ethiopian eunuch to this point as well. See, what we're told is that the Ethiopian eunuch had traveled to Jerusalem to worship God, and he was on his way home. But what we haven't actually been told at this point is that in all likelihood, he would have been rejected when he got there. That he would have walked up to the temple to uh, this place called the Court of the Gentiles, uh, which is where sort of non-Jews could come and worship God. And when he would have got there, he would have been met by this sign that would have said, no lame people, no blind people and no eunuchs may enter into this temple. That he goes on this massive journey, he gets all the way there and he gets and he's gonna worship God and, and the religious people say, no, you can't. And see, the reason I think he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah and Isaiah 53 in particular is because he's actually trying to read Isaiah 56 and he's just going back to get a bit of context for that verse. 
See, Isaiah 56 says, let not the eunuch say, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to all the eunuchs who will keep my Sabbath, who will choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenants, I will give in my house and with my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. See, what, what I think has happened here for this Ethiopian eunuch is he was comfortable in life in Ethiopia and then the Holy Spirit rocks up in his life and starts stirring him to ask questions and to think about gods and worship and, and it's that Holy Spirit that leads him to go and worship God in the first place. And then when he gets there and he's rejected because of his brokenness, it's the same Spirit of God that allows him to keep seeking after God and keep asking questions despite that rejection. And then I think it's the Spirit that leads him to purchase the scroll of Isaiah and the leading of the Spirit that leads him to Isaiah 56. And then he gets this hope that maybe, just maybe, he can actually be brought into relationship with God. And then it is the leading of the Spirit that leads him to go back a couple chapters to Isaiah 53 and to read the suffering servant verses. And see, what we're about to see is that this man is going to make a decision to follow after Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 12 says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except as led by the Holy Spirit. The church, yes, sometimes God speaks to us explicitly. Sometimes he speaks to us through uh, the Bible or through a prophetic word or, or the audible voice of God. But more often than not, what I've experienced in my life and seen the lives of those around me is that when God wants to work a change in our lives, more often than not, He leads us implicitly. He leads us through a stirring of the heart and a changing of our desires. And that is the only way any of this story makes sense at all, is if God and the Holy Spirit has been pulling on the strings of this man's heart and nudging him in this direction again and again and again so that he could come to this point right here and right now where after being rejected, after making this, um, this massive, pointless journey, he would meet a man on a lonely desert road who can tell him all about Jesus. So church, maybe you're here tonight and you feel exactly like the Ethiopian eunuch. And if you're honest, you, you wouldn't actually say you have a relationship with Jesus. But it's like you've had these stirrings in your heart and these pullings on your soul that have just led you to this place. And it's like situation after situation after situation has led to this moment right here and right now where somehow you found yourself in this church service and it doesn't make sense to you. But what I need you to see is it's not an accident. It's not a mistake. It's not a random set of circumstances. It is God seeking after you. That 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. A life you and I are supposed to live, a life we can't actually live on our own. And despite that, he dies a sinner's death on the cross. And then three days later, he rises from the grave. And you don't have to understand all of Christianity. You don't have to know what, what that does. You just have to understand that it saves you. That a drowning man does not need to know how CPR works in order to accept it. And if that is you tonight, and I just, I just have a feeling from the Holy Spirit that there's people that are in that place tonight, then what I need you to know is that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if that is you tonight, we would just love to be your Philip. We would love to come alongside you and help you make that decision, help commit your life into Jesus. And just at the end of the service, when we're done, I would just invite you to come forward and we would love to pray with you, love to talk through what that looks like.
But, but that is the sort of moment. That is the sort of moment that this Ethiopian eunuch has had. And so verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents him from being baptized? And so he commanded the chariots to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. In other words, the Ethiopian eunuch, he makes a decision that somehow, despite being rejected by, God, by God's people, despite making this journey back home, giving up on, on any relationship with God at all, he meets a random man on the side of the road. And somehow a conversation on the back of a chariot leads him to make a decision to follow Jesus. And his first, step, his first step of obedience, his first step of faith is to publicly declare what he believes in front of all his servants, in front of all the guards, in front of the guys carrying him on his shoulder by being baptized in front of them. And so verse 39, and, and the bank can start coming up as we start landing this. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. All right, I know that's a really weird place for us to, to land the service tonight uh, because on a plain reading of that verse, what it looks like has happened is uh, Philip baptizes this man and then all of a sudden he's sort of taken away and he finds himself in another city 100 kilometers away. And look, I, I just think God was blessing him so he didn't have to make the 250K journey back on, by himself. But um, look, there's a lot there. And, and if you actually want to discuss what, what is going on in that situation, then I'd be happy to have that conversation after the service. Uh, but to, to quote one commentator I read this week, to deny the miraculous nature of Philip's disappearance is vain. In fact, it stands out on the face of the words. Look, where I actually want to finish on is, is just by focusing on the Ethiopian's response. That he goes down into the water, he gets baptized, he sees Philip float away, and they leave rejoicing. That God had, had met him where he was and, and had changed his life in a radical way. And what Philip could never have known what, what, and what church history tells us is this Ethiopian eunuch and his, his group of servants, they would go back to Africa and they would plant the very first Christian church in Africa. And because of him, countless of people would come to faith. See, church, both Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch were from totally different backgrounds. Philip was a, a blue-collar man who, who probably grew up in the church, and he's just come off the back of amazing success in ministry on a short-term mission trip. And then on the other hand, you've, you've got the Ethiopian eunuch, who grew up in a world that was completely pagan, that didn't believe God at all, was, was wealthy beyond comparison, and has actually just been rejected by the church. But see, both of them, both of them needed God to speak into their lives. Both of them needed to be led by the Spirit. And whether that was an explicit leading like in the case of Philip or an implicit leading like in the case of the Ethiopian eunuch, both of them needed that, that voice in their life, that, that guidance of the Spirit, so they could be brought to this point where God's plan for them could be fulfilled. And church, the truth of the matter is, is we still need that same leading today. Just as much as both of those guys do, did, we, we need the Spirit to lead us, we need Him to guide us, we need to, Him to show us where we should go and what we should do and who we should speak to. 
And, and look, I, I had like a, a list of things I was gonna talk into here about different ways you could, um, that could look in your life, like maybe God is calling you to, to start a small group or, or to lead Alpha or whatever, but I don't know, I, I think God actually just wants to speak directly to us tonight. He doesn't, he doesn't need me up here telling you what to do. I mean, He uses that week in and week out. That, that's why we do this, but he, he wants to speak to you where you are. Uh, and so we're gonna respond in a way that's sort of a little bit different and the band's gonna get up and play a song and I would just encourage you to just find some space by yourself and, and just ask Him. Just have a chat with God. And, and just, just say, God, what are you trying to say to me in this space tonight? What is your word over my life? What, what is some guidance you want to give me? What is something you want me to say or do? And then I would actually just say, just do it. <laughs> like, like if God is calling you to, to forgive someone, you, you can just pick up your phone and text them and message them and you start working on that straight away. If God is giving you a word to pray over someone, then, then just go and pray for them. That, that yes, God is a God who speaks, but we need to be a people who follow. We need to be a people who are listening to what he is saying and doing what he says. So, so I'm gonna pray and we're just gonna finish in that, that, that place with God and um, don't rush it. Don't feel like you have to get up and sing. Just, just sit where you are. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you and um, then we'll finish up the service in a bit. So Lord, I, I, I just thank you. I thank you that you actually speak to us that the almighty King of kings and Lord of lords, that the God who created all the universe would turn to us and speak to our lives. You don't have to, we don't deserve it. And yet, like a good, good father, you wanna speak into our lives. You wanna give us guidance. You wanna give us direction. You wanna um, bring to our heart things that are not of you and, and convict us of truths. But God, it's all done out of love and, and you, just, you just want us to hear you. So I just pray right now for just an anointing over this congregation before me. Lord, that each and every one of us here, maybe some of us for the very first time would actually hear your, your leading and your guidance and your still small voice. Lord, that you, you would take away plugs from our ears, you would take away scales from our eyes that we would actually be able to receive those words. That right now, despite how busy our lives are, despite how stressful things are outside of these four walls, I just pray right now there'd be silence and still and quiet. And Lord, just so that the thoughts in our mind would just be still so that we can just hear what you are saying to us. And Lord, as we hear those words, as we hear your direction in our lives, would you give us the courage to just, just follow? To just do what you are saying. And Lord, we would just see the fruit of that in our lives and the lives of those of us. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we just want to hear your voice. In your name, amen.